0: What's good boys and girls? Welcome to Two Footed Podcast. It is Thursday the 22nd of April and we're brought to you by ePilindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network, allows you to go online, change location, access things like American Netflix, Now TV if you're outside the UK, also keeps your data safe online. Check out LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. HomeofHopcroft.co.uk for all your giftware or homeware needs. Right, folks, it is Thursday. I'm going to put all the madness that's gone on this week to one side. It is Twitter day, so we've got a bunch of questions to get through so we'll jump straight into them. Um, this one is from uh, looks good on paper, Felix. Uh, three players you think could get a big move with a good showing at the Euros. So generally, as we know, after European Championships, there is always a couple of players that blow up and people get really excited about them, and you find them, you know, making a move to a good club. If there's a, a specific team. I'm thinking, you know, Croatia 96, the Czech Republic 96, who do well, somewhat under the radar. We see a bunch of players land at top clubs. We've seen it from World Cups as well, like Romania did really well at the 94 World Cup. All of a sudden, Romanian players were popping up at top clubs. Same with Bulgaria that year, Sweden as well. So there will definitely be some team that surprises and some players that perform really well and get moves. Oftentimes, these moves don't work out perfectly. Oftentimes, it's a bit too soon for the player. But I think there's going to be a couple. One that stands out to me, and it's it's not even 100% certain that he will be in the squad. But the Czech Republic, Adam Lozek, young attacker, plays for Sparta Prague, super talented, can play wide, can play through the middle, good build, really good technical ability. 15 goals already for Sparta, despite only being 18. He's got 5 and 11 games this season, 9 and 39 last season. This is his third season as a senior player. He is super talented. Only the one cap so far. They've been really careful with him. He's got uh, 3 goals in 5 games at under-21 level. He's proven he's more than good enough at senior club level. I think he could be in the squad. I think he's one that if he does well... He's already on the radar of a lot of top clubs, but I think if he does well, he will see a big move this summer. He's one to keep an eye on. I think he's a really exciting player that a lot of people uh, should have interest in. Looking at the Ukraine, I'm I'm a big fan of a couple of players here. There's, There's the ones that we know, like Zinchenko of City, Malinovsky, of Atalanta, these are, these are quality players, and we know that. But Viktor Shankov of Dynamo Kiev, he's the one I think, if he does well at the Euros, will attract a lot of attention. Left-footed right-winger, can play as a 10, can play as a wide forward, can play as a number eight, I think, as well. Super talented player, scores a lot of goals. He's got 71 in 178 for Dynamo Kiev at senior level. 17, 2017, the last three full seasons, 12 and 25 this year. He's had a couple of injury issues, but he's a big-time talent, and I would not be surprised to see him land in a big five league with a top club this summer if he does well at the Euros. And a third one, I mean, if Conrad Lehmer is fit and if he goes to the Euros, I definitely think he's one that could. It's... There's a couple of obvious ones with the, with the Austrian team as well. Um, Marcel Sabitzer is the, is the obvious one. A lot of people are high on him. But the one to watch for me is Javr Schlager, the midfielder from Wolfsburg. He's having a really solid season. He's a good passer of the ball, really high energy, really hardworking. He's the type of player, I think, if Liverpool are looking for a Ginny Wijnaldum replacement, he's the type that could fit into that type of role. Don't know what his ceiling is, but he's been really good since joining Wolfsburg. One of those that came through Salzburg. And for whatever reason, Leipzig decided not to snap him up. But it's their loss. He's been really good for Wolfsburg. I think he's the third. So those would be my three. Adam Hlozik, probably pronouncing his name wrong. Viktor Shankov of of Kiev and uh, Xaver Schlager. I think those three are three to watch in national teams that I think will surprise some people. There's there's obviously other ones that, you know, bigger, more prominent national teams, but teams that I think could surprise, players I think will surprise. Those are three I'd look at. Uh, those are three I, I very much like. Um, Jason Roberts. You may have already done it, but possibly a bit more chat on Yusuf N. Naziri and a comparison with him and other strikers we've been linked with, such as Vlahovic and Ollie Watkins. I think he's the best rounded of any of the strikers Liverpool have been linked with. Taking Haaland out of the equation because that's a pipe dream. I think Naziri is one of those really well-rounded strikers. He's not great at anything other than his hold-up play. I think his hold-up play is really, really special. But his finishing is very good. His dribbling is good. He's got good creativity. He's good in the air. Links to play well. I think he is the ideal striker for Liverpool. Either if they stay 4-3-3, if they move to 4-2-3-1, if they go to a 4-4-2, I think he fits perfectly. Him and Mo Salah as a pairing to me is something that will absolutely work. I think he's more developed and more well-rounded than Vlavic. I think he's a better threat in front of goal than Watkins. Doesn't have Watkins' pace, but he's not slow. I think Niziri would be an ideal signing for Liverpool. I don't think uh, Sevilla... Are going to ask for crazy money for him. I think somewhere in the region of 35 to 40 million will get him. Now we're yet to see what FSG's plans for the summer are. Um it may well be that they feel like they have some making up to do, which could see a bit of a spending spree. Uh, I definitely think they've got some making up to do to Jürgen Klopp. So Naziri, a wide forward the centre-backs he wants, and maybe one in midfield. There's a bunch of players to go. Liverpool have a lot of players that should be moved on this summer. To me, he's just a striker that I think makes the most sense. He's, he's more finesse than you would expect for a striker of his build. He's got a great first touch, can play a subtle pass, he's got good creativity. But what he does really well is he leads the line, he holds the ball up really well, he brings players into the game And that, when you've got the likes of Salah, Jota, Mane, potentially Firmino as a 10, whoever else, that's what Liverpool need. Liverpool need someone to lead the line, to occupy centre-backs. They've become too predictable, too easy to play against, and I think he's one that can change it. I also think he would give Trent Alexander-Arnold an outstanding target, same for Andy Robertson, and Virgil van Dijk, when he's back, someone to play that long ball to, just when Liverpool need to get out and relieve a bit of pressure, he'd be ideal in that role. I'm a big, big fan. I think he'd be a perfect signing for Liverpool. Um, you and Mac, 1001, 1001, I suppose. Uh, how can UEFA, FIFA ever be challenged and football change for the better if new competitions are immediately blown apart by the media, Sky and BT, etc., to protect their own interests? They can't. They can't. Sky and BT are in bed with UEFA. They're in bed with FIFA. And don't ever let them tell you otherwise. What we've seen in the last couple of days is that this cartel will not be challenged. When you see the owner of PSG becoming the head of the ECA, when you see him being you know, held up as the good guy, and then when you have a quick look into the World Cup, the human rights violations, the people that have died. It really is hard to think like that you won anything this week. You you lost a big opportunity. We all lost a massive opportunity this week to have open discussion because Sky and BT pushed a narrative of lies down everybody's throat. They took a page out of the leave handbook and forced it upon everybody to remain. That's what they did. They used hysteria. They used lies, they look at what they did. I mean, they put some of their stuff on free to air for the time period they needed you to fight their battle and as soon as they thought that the battle was fought and won by you, the fans, not by them, by the fans, it all went back behind the paywall and It's not just them, there's others as well. I've mentioned a couple of them on this this show this week. There are other outlets who are completely complicit with this. Remember as well, the guy who owns PS, uh, PSG is now the head of the ECA. He also owns Being Sport. He's got a vested interest in the Champions League from that angle as well. The others that have been held up, karl-heinz rummeniger wasn't he the guy who was driving this for a number of years? Are Bayern and Dortmund really going to stand on the high ground when the reason they didn't agree to it is because they would have had to go through membership vote. There's no challenging that. There really isn't. UEFA and FIFA are, as we know, utterly corrupt, driven by money. And them, along with broadcasters like Sky and BT, are the ones that have made the game inaccessible for so many. And I've seen the argument that it's easier to watch football than ever because you can just stream it. it that's That is true. But the bottom line is streams are illegal. (laughs) They are illegal. So that's an illegal way that people have had to work around these broadcasters to present the product to each other. That's what the fans have had to do. And the guys providing the streams are taking a massive risk. If you see what's happened to some streamers in the USA who've streamed NFL, who've streamed UFC, And they've ended up getting massive fines. They've ended up having to go through court cases. That's The same people who are providing these streams for football are taking that same risk. So don't tell me football is more accessible. It's not, unless you break the law. They've made it a closed shop. It has been a closed shop for years. And when anybody threatened them, they got on the high horse. They used their power. They manipulated. They lied. And we're back at square one where everything's the same except a little bit worse because the Champions League reforms are awful. There's no way to touch them without an alternative. The only way you can challenge the norm is with an alternative. And that alternative got blown up. So it is what it is. Um, Narty2702. Top five Irish talents under the age of 21 in your opinion. I like this. Don't I feel like we don't mention enough about how good the current crop of young Irish players is so number one on my list is Jason Knight Derby County midfielder I think he has everything to his game can play as a holding midfielder a box-to-box midfielder but he's good enough on the ball to play a little bit more advanced as well very very talented has proper narrow about him has a proper chip on his shoulder I really like him I think he's going to play for a top club he's someone I enjoy watching And I think if Derby are still having financial problems come summer, I think a Premier League club will come in and take him off the hands. He'd be a really nice fit at Leeds. He'd be a really nice fit under Bielsa. Now, whether Derby would deal with Leeds, I don't know. But, you know, Lampard's not there, so there's nobody crying anymore. Um, I do like Jason Malumby. Currently on loan at Preston from Brighton. Another neat and tidy midfielder, a good player. Brighton don't seem to know how to use him. I think he's a bit better when you play him further forward. Get him more involved in the build-up play. Really good recycler of the ball. He's another one I do like. So those two would be high on the list. Troy Parrott is obviously sort of the one in terms of goal scorers. Um, On loan at Ipswich from Spurs. Haven't seen much from this season, admittedly, because I don't watch a lot of the championship. I know he's he's in League One. Sorry, I know he's not scoring a lot of goals, but... His all-round play is quite promising. He's still very, very young. Only just turned 19 earlier this year. I do think Troy Parrott is one with a lot of promise. Scored through the Irish underage system. Was brought through by Stephen Kenny with the under-21 team. I think he's one that'll be around for a long time. I, I am keen. Uh, I do like Mark Travers, the goalkeeper from Bournemouth. Now, I want to see him get that Bournemouth number one slot. He's um. He's only played once this season for Bournemouth in the league, twice in all competitions. Still very raw. He's been on loan a couple of times. I'd like to see him go on loan next season and get 25, 35 starts. Get a lot of football under his belt and start to develop. He's only 21, so he's a baby for a goalkeeper. But he's 6'3", he's got a good frame, he's agile, he's athletic. Good reflexes. He's a goalkeeper I like. He's one I think will do well. I, I do like the other keeper as well, Gavin Basunu, who's unknown at Rochdale from Man City. But I think Travers is slightly better. I think he's got a bigger frame, a little bit more advanced. Now, he is two years older, so you know that needs to be taken into account as well. The final one then is one that may not be all that well-known to a lot of people. But Sean McAvoy is a young right-back. Who plays for Bray Wanderers in the League of in League of Ireland? Really, really talented player. The only reason he's still playing in Ireland is because he wanted to wait till he was finished his leaving cert to move to the UK. He's had offers. I think Portsmouth have a scot have a have an offer on the table for him. I think that might be where he goes. Very, very talented. Played for the Irish under seventeen team against Belgium, and did a really, really impressive job. Going up against Jeremy Doku, very talented player can score goals from from fullback. Um, four goals in fifteen games last year in the first division here in Ireland, which is the second tier. But um, yeah, I, I think he is one to keep an eye on. Won't be a spectacular player, but I think as like a not to compare him, not that level, but a Branislav Ivanovic type. Just a really solid defender who'll add a bit going forward. Comfortable on the ball, but not explosive. Good defender, very smart kid. He's one to keep an eye on. Uh, A little bit under the radar as well. So they'd they'd be the five I'd go with. Um, James Iken asks, um, this was one that was going around actually on social media, and he sent it to me. If you could wish for a player to have gone their entire career without injury, who would that player be and why? So the obvious answer is obviously Ronaldo. 0-9, il fenomeno, maybe the greatest number nine we've ever seen. Career destroyed by injuries. Still had a great career, but not what he should have been. His knees exploded, just didn't work out to be what he should have been. He would be the obvious one. I think Marco van Basten would be another. Um, obviously retired early 27. I think he was 28 when he retired. Bad ankle injury after a tackle from Jürgen Kohler. Uh, brilliant all-rounder, had everything in his game and could score all kinds of goals. Everybody, if you ha- Everybody's seen the goal he scored in the 1988 Euros. If you haven't, YouTube it. YouTube it just YouTube Marco van Basten's best goals. And be prepared to be blown away by some of the finishing. It, it's incredible. Coming closer to home, though, Gaza would be one. Um, I think if Gaza doesn't wreck his knee in that FA Cup final, I think he goes to Syria and becomes one of the best players in the world. Gaza was a phenomenal midfielder, could do pretty much everything. He would definitely be one for me. On a similar vein, as great a career as he had, I still think if Roy Keane hadn't torn his ACL, I think Roy Keane would have been even better. People forget how good Roy Keane was pre-ACL. People remember the kind of the gnarly fighter, the biter in his, you know, prime in his later career where he was more of a stationary holding midfielder. But pr- before the knee injury, Roy Keane was box to box. He was everywhere. He was the the night against Juventus. He was that every week. That's the player he was. And if he hadn't torn his ACL, I, I think he would have been even better. So Keane would be one. Um, Looking at Liverpool, I mean, Sturridge is an obvious one for sure. So many bad injuries, uh, just niggles after niggles after niggles. A great, great player, incredible talent, but couldn't stay fit. You mentioned Danny Agger, James, as well. Danny Agar would absolutely be there for me. Danny Agger for me, until Virgil arrived, is the most talented centre-back I'd seen play for Liverpool. Hanson was before my time. Danny Agger was just sensational. On the ball, great defender leader, organiser, tough as nails, but a body that failed him. So Danny Agger will be there. Paul McGrath, if he hadn't been born with the worst set of knees that anyone's ever had, Paul McGrath would be in the discussion for the greatest centre-back of all time, in my view. Um, I would put Ledley King in the mix of, of players. If he hadn't had injuries, he would have been – He's he's already highly rated, but Ledley King was more talented than John Terry or Rio Ferdinand. He's a better defender than either of them. But the injuries just hampered his career. So Ledley King would absolutely be in that mix. So I, I think those would be the ones. Like Ronaldo, if you could just pick anybody for the good of the game, it would have been R9. Um, but McGrath and Keane are two I've always just wondered about. And Gaza. Because I loved Gaza. But Gaza should have been playing in the best league with the best players for his prime not in Scotland with the greatest respect. He shouldn't have been playing in Scotland in what was a two-team league. And in truth, it was a one-team league for most of his, of his time there. So um, those would be the ones I, I'd sort of look at. Um, Vinyl Maniac, there's some chatter about Rangers and Celtic joining a reimagined Premier League. Is this a good move? Why and why not? Um, Is it a good move? It- in the long run, it would be for English football. For Scottish football, it, it's it's death, though. Like, you take them two out, that's the end of the league. Like, they'll still have their league. And, and admittedly, it will be a much more competitive league. But there'd be so little money in the league. It would be a bit like, you know, the Norwegian league or the Swedish league. But without even their big teams, it would, it would very much be, a, a, I think, a, th- a third-tier league, which is unfortunate because it deserves better. You'd still have good clubs like Aberdeen, Motherwell, the Dundee clubs, Hibs and Hearts, you know, Kilmarnock, St. Johnson. You still have a lot of good, well-run clubs, but Wraith Rovers, of course, uh, hi Eddie. <laughs> it it just it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a league that got much attention at all outside of its own borders. Um as for them coming to England uh, they would get annihilated in, in the first season. That's that's the truth of it. I think ideally, like the league they play in at the moment, most of the teams would be mid-table League One. So I think if you bring them down, your best bet is stick them in the championship. Stick them in the championship and let them let them adapt, let them get used to English football. Now, they will have enormous fan bases. They will have massive commercial appeal. So they will rise into the Premier League, but they'll do it more naturally than they would if they were just shoehorned straight into the Premier League. If you wanted, you could work around it and say to them, look, you've got to go into the championship, but you can take a Europa League spot for the next two years. So you're going to get European football, so you'll still have your gate receipts, you'll still drive revenue, whatever. You're going to come out of the Scottish League as you know, first and second in whatever order. So you can take those European places for this year and next year we will gift you two Europa League spots and just go with it. Um, UEFA would obviously have to sign on for this, of course. But I do think in the long run it would be good for English football and for those two clubs. I think there's no question that Celtic would be a big six club. I think they would knock Spurs out of that mix. Rangers don't I don't believe have the global appeal that Celtic have. Um but they're still a big big club like they'd be they'd be Everton, Villa, Newcastle level, but I think I think Celtic could be Arsenal level. Not quite Liverpool not United level, but Arsenal level. Uh hopefully more competently run. It would kill Scottish football though. And that's that's the the hard part to to kind of work with. It, it would be the, the end of that role. Maybe, maybe the best thing is to put Newcastle, Middlesbrough and Sunderland into the Scottish League. Maybe just bum them all up. But move the border, put it down, make Guy Drinkle Scottish, that's fine. Um, <laughs> he's not impressed. What uh, what are three moves FSG could do to win the fans back short of selling to somebody else? right? There's, who do people want them to sell the club to? If somebody can give me one good alternative to FSG, I'd love to hear it. One realistic good alternative who's got four to five billion pounds burning a hole in their pocket, who's going to come in and be a better owner than them. I'd love to hear it. Fan ownership is not an option. 50 plus one is not an option. We've been over this. They don't work. Fan ownership doesn't work. It leads to bankruptcies. Fifty plus one only works if you're fan owned and looking to bring in outside money. It doesn't work in reverse. It doesn't create a competitive playing field. So, I mean, what are your options? You know, you get oil money. You get the Chinese sovereign wealth fund. You get Jeff Bezos, uh, Alan Musk. It, really, are these people? Are these the people that you want? Uh, I, I don't think there's any way there's no mechanism to get rid of them anyway look at the Glazers, look at Hicks and Gillette fans can shout and ball all they want unfortunately we have no power that's just the end of the game we have no power unless the banks come for them there's no reason for them to sell the club um, but what can they do to get fans back on side win win build a winner on the pitch and people will forget things real quick Because the ticket prices, the furloughs, all of that gets forgotten real quick when we're winning. When you're losing, it all gets dragged back up again. When we were winning the Champions League, nobody was talking about the fact that they'd tried to raise ticket prices. When everybody was celebrating winning the league, people kind of forgot that they tried to furlough people. So build a winner. Back Klopp, back Michael Edwards, stay out of the way win that's that's it that's the main thing they can do um we passed on nabil fakir they say due to a dodgy knee injury uh but he plays all the time in la liga is this a bad medical ex- assessment as an excuse because he failed um his, his attitude wasn't right or a lack of funds i think it was they they didn't think they were going to get alison becker And then Alison Becker became available. And I think that's what happened. I think they they pivoted from spending the money on Fakir to spending the money on Alison. I could be completely wrong. There was definitely doubts over his knee, though, because somebody else had him in for medical and turned him down. Because of whatever way his ACL uh, knee surgery was done, there was doubts over it. His brother is meant to be a jackass as well. His brother's meant to be an absolute nightmare. You are correct, guy. His brother's meant to be a nightmare to deal with. So there was that, and there was like an uncle or something that was causing problems, and he wanted his brother to be signed as well. There was a a lot of stuff, but I do think it was it came down to the fact that an opportunity came to sign Alison Becker, so money had to be spent there. Uh, You've mentioned fan ownership. This is from Chris Wall. Uh, You mentioned fan ownership doesn't work. So German clubs went to 50 plus one and private ownership has been a success in the UK, which in the large part it has. Um, What about fan ownership makes it fail? What do they do differently than owners that run as a business? Not the petrol billionaires or the state owned clubs. Could it ever work? Look, I don't think it could work because there's no example of it working. One of the problems is you get too many voices in a room. You just get two Liverpool fans can't agree on whether they can sign a player or not. You put five Liverpool fans in a tread on Twitter and say, This player discussed, two of them are going to have different views to the other three. And with the amount of fans that would need to be involved to actually buy the club, like think about it Liverpool are worth four billion, apparently, right? So for 50%, you're talking about two billion. So you now need 400,000 Liverpool fans. To come up with 5 grand each. Or 4 million Liverpool fans. To come up with 500 quid each. If you put 4 Liverpool fans. Talking about something. One will disagree with the others. So I don't see how that that can work. They also just don't have the money to do it. Like to run the club. Sufficiently. They don't have the money to meet the day to day demands. Of the club. So. So. It's too many voices, and then the problem is then, what happens is, you end up with a Real Madrid or a Barcelona, where you get these big elections, and they're rampant with corruption, and then you get people who get into office, like Florentino Perez at Real Madrid, who begins to change the constitution of the club, once he's had a bit of success. So, Perez oversaw these four Champions Leagues for Real, and then started to mess about with the constitution and basically make it impossible for anyone to run against him because all of a sudden to run for president of real madrid or barcelona you need to present an enormous figure of money that is going to be put into the club so even though the clubs are fan owned you're still looking at all this outside money coming in so then there's more voices added to the mix there's more vested interest. And you look at a club like Schalke. And they just they don't have the mass appeal of a Real Madrid or, or even a Bayern Munich or a Dortmund. They're a working class team, working class members. They don't have the money. But they still have to try and keep up. So they plunge themselves into debt. And you just get normal people making decisions that unfortunately they're not really qualified to make you get people that make bad decisions like put it this way right it's the same if you're if you were running a football club and you decided you needed to refinance the football club for whatever reason same thing as refinancing your house you have to go and get a second mortgage or you know or remortgage your house and then something changes in your personal circumstances so say you lose your job well you might have mortgage protection on your mortgage but only for a certain period of time. Eventually if you can't find another job you'll lose your house. In football if you remortgage the club and let's just say you have a bad season you miss the Champions League well all of a sudden you can't meet your repayments. So then you may have to go and borrow from somebody else to make the first payment but you'll have to do that at a higher interest which is basically what Real Madrid and Barcelona have done. They've Budgeted on hitting certain targets every year, be it in terms of on-field or or financial, and when they fall below those targets and they miss repayments on loans they've taken out here, there, and everywhere, and because as well you also have the unstoppable demand of fans clamoring for the best players and all the success, you're always being pushed to go further than than you can actually manage yourself. And when you don't have the income that you expected to have, well, then you've got to go and borrow it. And then if you fail to repay that income or that that loan, well, then you've got to borrow more. And you've got all these kind of vulture funds just hanging around. Michael Dell appears to be a fairly shady character, given how he's loaning to clubs at massive interest rates. Taking advantage of clubs that are having bad times. Look at Derby County. I I just don't think I don't think it will work. I don't see any possible way it will work because there's never been an example of of fan ownership working. Fifty plus one doesn't work because the fans own it. It works because the the money that gets pumped in. But again, it doesn't work for everybody. And like I said yesterday, the the only clubs that really have managed to challenge Bayern over the past 23 years. Leverkusen, not 50 plus one. Hoffenheim, not 50 plus one. Leipzig, not 50 plus one. Wolfsburg, not 50 plus one. Schalke, 100% fan-owned, in so much trouble financially at the moment that they may well go to the wall. They may have to sell their stadium, they may have to do all sorts of stuff, sell off all the players, drop back down to restart and come back up. And Dortmund, who almost went bust themselves in the early 2000s, and Liverpool would be Dortmund in this circumstance, United would be Bayern, United would win the league most years, Liverpool would win at the odd year, and everybody else would kind of trail in their wake because it will be based on popularity. The most popular clubs will bring in the most commercial revenue. They will bring in the most, um, the biggest players, the best players. They will cherry pick from other clubs. I'm sorry. I just don't see any way it will work. And if anybody, if anybody can show me an example of it working at the highest level, it will work in lower leagues. I think it can work in lower leagues. Look at AFC Wimbledon. I think it can work for them. But like, again, they're a little bit of a yo-yo club bouncing between divisions. So it works to an extent at a certain level. But I think Championship and above, it costs too much to run a club Championship and Premier League level for fan ownership to work. That's just my view on it, and I, and I don't, I don't ever see an example that tells me otherwise. Um, right, this one is from um, Anderson at SGA five five five. Just popped into my into my head this question, but how would AVB and Chris Wilder work together? Also. Where would Newcastle finish next season? Assuming they stay up and hire Chris Wilder as manager, he also strikes me as someone who could dwell at a club like Sunderland. I think he'd do brilliantly at Sunderland as long as he had backing. Now, they have wealthy owners now. He's a young guy, so we'll see how, how he does, whether he's willing to actually pump money in or whether he's just in it for the fun. That type of club and Newcastle where he could connect with the fans the way he did with Sheffield United I think is important to him. Similar to Klopp, I think he's got Personality traits that are similar to Klopp. They're obviously very. They've got different sets of beliefs, obviously, but I, I do think that's a big thing for him, is that connection to the fans. Um, Chris Wilder with Newcastle. If it's if it's this Newcastle squad, so Wilder's going to play. He'll play a three-four. A three-five-two, rather. Jamal Lewis the be ideal left-wing back. I, I think he'd like Jacob Murphy as a right-wing back. Lachelles would play the middle centre-back role, the Egan role. I think Fabian Cher could play the right-sided role, that Chris Basham role, quite good with carrying the ball. They'd need a left-footed, left-side centre-back. They'd probably need a right, right-side centre-back as well, but they definitely need at least a left-sided one. In midfield, he likes to have a runner, he likes to have that bit of power breaking from midfield, like Lundström, like Sander Berger. If they could keep hold of Joe Willock, he could fill that role for them. They've got Shelby. they've got Longstaff, and they've got Hayden, could all play. Do you know what? I think he'd move Isaac Hayden to right side centre back and have him carry the ball from into midfield. Um so Hayden there, so left side centre back, a left footed centre midfielder, he could try and use Almiron in the John Fleck role. We've seen Almiron play left side of a midfield three recently for Newcastle, and he's good there. So he could do that, and then up front he'd go go Wilson and St. Maximum, have St. Maximum drift to the wings. Wilson hold the line. Get him that left left side centre-back, and I genuinely think that is a team that gets... Anywhere between ninth and 12th. There's, there's talent there. There just is. There's a lot of talent there. Oh, sorry. He needs that, that box-to-box midfielder as well. So he'd need two signings. Willock is already at the club. Maybe you can keep him. Get that left footed centre-back. I think they'd be good. I genuinely do. I think ninth to 12th with that group, let alone any other additions on top of this. Right, uh, Dave O'Donovan 5. Eve Basima or Zambo and Gisa. Who is the better of the two in your opinion? Which of the two fits better in the Liverpool squad as a Ginny Wijnaldum replacement? So to answer in reverse, Basuma is probably the better fit in the Wijnaldum role. Similar type of player to Ginny or or, or to how Ginny's is used. Really good defensively. Quite disciplined. Good positionally. Clever use of the ball, not an expansive passer, but can, when the mood takes him, open things up a little bit. I think Zambo's the better player, though. Zambo's a better ball carrier. For me, he's a better ball winner. I don't know if the numbers reflect that, but it it feels like he's a better ball winner. I think Zambo's the better passer of the two. Basuma is more focused. Zambo can drift a little bit in games. But I I think Basuma is the better fit for Liverpool, while Zambo's the better player. But Basuma is a little bit younger than Zambo as well. Basuma is, what is he, 24? 24. He'll be 25 this year. So heading towards his prime. Zambo is 25. He's 26 this year. There's only about eight, nine months between them. Um, if it was me, I would rather have Zambo. But I think Klopp would rather have uh, Basuma for for the 4-3-3. And, and I can completely see why. Um, Owen Hurley, tweets from the bog. Seen a bit of Leon versus Monaco. Chimani looks like a baller. I think that this is the summer to rage French, the French league. 100% I agree. 100% I agree. And that kid is really, really good. As a holding midfielder, there's not many better young holding midfielders in the world than him right now. He is a huge prospect, part of a really exciting team that Monaco are putting together. Um, He's only 21, turned 21 earlier this year, already has 71 senior top league games under his belt. Was at Bordeaux, moved to Monaco. They got him at a great price. Well, I think they paid about seven million for him. Um, but yeah, he is he is very, very good, can do everything well. He'd be a really nice addition for any Premier League club. He is one that I think is worth looking at to replace Ginny. If you want to save money, because he he'll be cheaper than than either Zambo or or Basima. Or Basuma, he would be cheaper. He's younger, I think he's probably got a higher upside he'd definitely be worth considering. And he also allows you to drop Fabinho to centre back if you need to do that. So well worth doing. Um, I was actually having a gawk at the game. Sorry, have, having a look at the game to have a gawk at Batty Achille and how he'd do against Depay, who we should also get in the cheap, but it was your man who stood out. Yeah. I mean, he, he is, he's been a standout player for Monaco this season. Batty Achille, I do like, he's still a little bit raw, still a little bit error prone, but he's, he's a, he's a child. Like, Kids make mistakes. Young defenders will always make mistakes. That is just what they do. And he is just turned 20, but he's an absolute unit. He's a physical freak. So quick for his size as well. So he would be worth looking at. But I think Liverpool will go to and Kanate. But someone smart will buy him, will buy Badia Sheila this year and Chimini. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Memphis Depay is another one that everybody should be in for. Um... When Klopp leaves in, let's say, two to three years, and you are the main man in charge to decide who to replace him, who are your top three ranked and why? If I look at it now, and I said this be- before, it might have been on a different podcast, but if you're going to replace Klopp, you have to replace him with a win now, proven, high end manager. I don't think you can just turn around and say, right, uh, we're going to take a gamble on this guy. So the ones you're looking at, the likes of Nagelsmann, the likes of Marco Rose, they've got to win at their next job. So Nagelsmann, if he takes that Bayern job, which he'd probably only be there for three to four years, because managers don't tend to stay a long time at Bayern because of the pressure and everything that goes with it. If he goes to Bayern, he's got to win. He's got to win league titles. That's, a, that's the minimum requirement there anyway. But he's got to win a Champions League. If Rose goes to Dortmund, which, which is, is what he's planning to do this summer, he's got to win a league for me to be in that mix to replace Klopp. Because if I look at it now, and people might not like these choices, the only three names I see out there that would be acceptable replacements, because Pep is off the table, obviously, are Diego Simeone, who people don't like his style of play, Antonio Conte, who falls out with everybody, and people aren't all that keen in his style of play either and Max Allegri, because he's a proven winner. You can dismiss the fact that he hasn't won a Champions League like Conte, like Simeone, whatever. He's a proven winner. He won a title with an average AC Milan team. He's the last manager to win the league title who wasn't managing Juventus until this season when Conte's going to do it. And he then went to Juventus, and he took over from Conte, and he improved them. He took a really good team and he made them a better team. He got to multiple Champions League finals. Unfortunately, didn't get the win, but a top-class manager. I think they're the only three right now that are realistic options that don't represent a big fall-off. I think Conte and Simeone are right there with Klopp and Pep. I think that's your kind of the four best in the world. I think Allegri's a little bit below them, but... Not far enough that it would make much of a difference. The one difference with Allegri to Conte, Klopp, and Simeone is he doesn't have that personality. Conte, you'll either love him or you'll hate him. Klopp is kind of the same. Most people love him, but there are some that, that just really dislike him. And Simeone is the same. They just they have that, that force of personality. They create that cult of personality. It's what they do. They get buy-in from everybody. In Conte's case, until he falls out with them all. But they're the only three for me. Nobody else right now, at this moment, is worth considering. But like you say, it's two to three years. So we wait and we see who does what over the next couple of years. The man at Sevilla, um, whose name is just escaping my mind. I can I can see his name. I just can't think what it is. He is the potential, the potential guy to take that leap. Um, so, yeah, worth considering. Um, LFC, uh, LFC 92 commercially and on a global scale why are Liverpool slacking you think it's down to poor management of the brand and catching, on, catching up on failed opportunities or what do you think we should do to become a superpower that we should have been um, Liverpool's problem commercially is that they let United get such an enormous lead on them that they've been playing catch up So where Liverpool are commercially now is probably where United were about 15 years ago. Because under Peter Kenyon, with Beckham as the face of it all, United went from being a big club to an enormous club. While Liverpool just stayed as a big club. And Liverpool have been trying to close that gap. But United haven't been slowing down. United have continued to grow and grow and grow. and Commercially, United are an absolute monster. An absolute machine. It's terrifying how much money that club can make. So Liverpool are just a little bit behind the eight ball. Um, they just need to carry on. They need to try and seek partnerships. Rather than look for these sponsorship deals, long-term partnerships are probably the way forward. Look at Bayern Munich. If You look at Bayern Munich and you look at the way they're structured, like they're a commercial monster as well. But Bayern don't have sponsors so much as they have partnerships. So Bayern bring big companies into their mix and then they have them involved in the club. They have them involved in the running of the club. So not only are you getting their money, you're getting their expertise. So if you look at Bayern, they've got two boards. They've got their advisory board. um which is, you know, like, it's a, a lot of ex board, and they've got an executive board. So the executive board is Rumaniga, Salah Hamasic, Ali Khan, Andreas Young, George Wicker. These, so these are the, the departments. So you've got your chairman, your director of sport, your director of finance, your director of marketing, your director of strategy. And then Ali Khan is just sort of there. He hasn't got a department that he runs yet, but that's their executive board. Then they've got this supervisory board, which is what helps them grow, what what leads them, the vision of the club and the direction of the club. And on that, you've got the chairman of Volkswagen, long-time partner with Bayern. You've got the chairman of Allianz, stadium sponsor, long-time partner. You've got the chairman of Deutsche Telekom, the chairman of Deutsche Börse. You've got the former Prime Minister of Bavaria. You've got a speaker on the board of the Unicredit Bank. And then you've got a senior vice president of Bayern. So what they've got is they've got all this expertise from different avenues of revenue. And all of these people help Bayern grow as a club. All these people shape the vision, the direction of Bayern. I've always felt that's what Liverpool should do is have a supervisory board involving partners like somebody from Nike, someone high up from Nike. I I always thought that was kind of the good thing with new balances. I thought it would have been easier to have that partnership with them. But obviously they they went with Nike because more profit, more prospect for growth. Someone from Standard Chartered should sit. Originally, it was meant to be Ian Ayre. Ian Ayre was meant to go and take a job with Standard Chartered and hold a seat on the Liverpool board. That didn't happen for a multitude of reasons. But these type of partnerships, these are things you can build long-term. Bayern have been doing this for 25 years. Again, Liverpool are behind the eight ball. But the other thing they can do is they can get more community-based. Like, they've just lost a partnership with a, with a watch company that are Liverpool-based. And that's a shame. Look, they can go and get a watch, another watch deal, probably a bigger one, but that was a local deal. And I think they need to connect a little bit more to their local roots again. So that will help commercially as well. Because that will people will want to start spending their money at the club again. Right now, I don't know that they do. Um, Alison esque. thoughts on the idea of a British Super League being backed by the good guys. FIFA and UEFA, that would feature. Yeah, that's Scotland. It would kill Scottish football. Like I suppose if if it's going to amalgamate Scottish football, Welsh football, and English football into one, that's fine. What happens if Scotland takes independence? How does that then work? Makes it a little bit more difficult. Now there is talk of a Benelux league. Um, there's there's been talk of a an Austrian Hungary uh, Austrian Hungarian league. You know so. It can, it can work, but it would make things a little bit more difficult. If it's a British league, I'm more on board with it than just Rangers and Celtic coming down and joining the English league. If, if all the other clubs are joining as well, I, I would actually be on board with that. Um, Haddenbaum asked again, what, what do John Henry and FSG have to do to win back trust? And what do you think he they will do? I think they have to win. That's it. Win. Win and be more transparent. That's it. Win and be more transparent. If things are going to happen, tell people they're going to happen. It's a, it make, might make you uncomfortable. It might be a little bit more difficult, but I think you're going to have to do something like that. Uh, what do you think they will do? I think they'll I think they'll build another winner. I don't know if they'll be transparent. Um, you're making a soccer version of Space Jam. MT USA, A soccer version of Space Jam. Football version of football version. Um, who is the current player? Who would you would play as me- in the Messi LeBron role? And who are the five current players who would play as the monsters? So I mean, for it to be to a global audience, it probably has to be someone who speaks English as a first language, doesn't it? Because the obvious two are Messi and Ronaldo, but again, maybe they're a little bit old. Maybe you're looking more at the future generation. In which case, I think Mbappe is the one. Now, he doesn't speak English as a first language, but he does speak fluent English. He's got a good personality. He's a really likable fella. So I think he would be one. He would be the the main guy. In terms of the others, I mean, Haaland looks like a monster. He just looks like one. So he'd be one. I think you could put Messi in. Do you remember it wasn't... Muggsy Bogues was like one of the players who had his ability stolen, and it was a smaller monster Messi could be that guy um you'd have to have a goalkeeper I think All Black is a mutant anyway I think he may well be from a different planet so him Virgil is a no brainer Virgil again like Haaland looks like a no look looks like a monster and then I mean, Casemiro, Frankie de Jong, maybe. Frankie de Jong could be an interesting one. Frankie would be fun. I'll go with Frankie. So I'll go Mbappe as the lead and then on the other side we'll take Haaland, Virgil, Black, Messi and Frankie. Can't we really take two Barca players. there would be absolute uproar in Madrid. there would be murders in Madrid. We'll put Ronaldo on the team just to pacify everybody. Um, three strikers, Virgil behind and, and all black and gold, would be fine. Um, Mikhail Campbell. Uh, your top 10 defensive midfielders of the last 30 years. Who's the best 11s of both Barcelona and Real you've seen and who would win a hypothetical at a classical? So he's got two. Um, I'll come back to the defensive midfielders one. I'm just keeping an eye on the time because obviously we don't want to go too long on this. Um, best 11s for, for Real and Barca, right? Barca, the best goalkeeper I've seen is the current one at uh, Ter Stegen. He is, he's incredible. Danny Alves at right-back. Abidal at left-back? Yeah, I'd go Abidal at left-back. I'm going to go Puyol and Nadal as my central defenders. Uh, Busquets as the holding midfielder Xavi and Iniesta either side of him Messi as the nine false nine Laudrup off the left no sorry I'm going to play Messi off the right Romario through the middle and Laudrup off the left that would be my that would be my Barca 11 I think it's harsh on Ronaldinho but I think that's what I'd go with for Real um Hierro and Manolo as the centre-backs Bodo Wiltner would be my goalkeeper uh, over Casillas Roberto Carlos would be the left-back Christian Panucci would be the right-back Fernando Redondo would be in midfield with With Tony Cruz, probably. Yeah. And then Figo one side, Zidane the other. Cristiano would have to be in the team, so he'd be one of the strikers. And the other striker, I think I'd go Raul. I think I'd go Raul. Loudrup should be in the team, but I'm leaving him out because I've put him in the Barca team and he was better for Barca than he was for Real. But, I, yeah, I think it would be Cristiano and Raul. O nine nine, obviously, is, should be in it based on who he was and what a player he was. But for Real, just at Real, I think Raul and, and Cristiano would have to be the two. Um Alex Wilson asks, you are Dave Hendricks' super agent. Some of your clients are in need of moves in the summer. Where would you be trying to get the below players moves to for development and a good fit? Sander Berger, Loftus Cheek, Tammy Abraham, Stephen Bergvine, Adama, Michi Batshuayi and Dwight McNeil. Oh, this is good. Um... If I can go anywhere, I'd probably take a couple of them out of, out of England. Uh, I put Tammy Abraham to Villa. I think Tammy Abraham at Villa, with Ollie Watkins as a partner, who'll run the channels, do a lot of the hard work, and do a lot of the pressing. And Tammy can focus on being more of a number nine player, a holder player, and a link player. With Jack Grealish as a creator in behind them, I think that works really well. Sander Berger, again, I do like the fit at Villa. As a box to box midfielder, him, Douglas Louise and John McGinn as a three, I quite like, but if I'm putting Tammy there, I won't go go with Berger there. For for Burger, I think Brighton. Burger in midfield with use Basima, with Lampty to the right wing, and anybody on the left wing. I think Sander Berger under Graham Potter would be great. Uh, Steven Bergvine. As things stand now, I would have sent him to Gladbach to play for Marco Rose. I don't think he makes sense for Dortmund, though, with Rose there next season, because they've already got a bunch of different wingers. Hmm. Sevilla. Sevilla. Hemenocampus within his area. I do like that as a three. I think you get a bit of everything there. I think he'd work really well at Sevilla. I think he'd explode in Spain as well. Adama. I mean, a Gold's Gym maybe. I, I, Adama is a tough one. Like it's it's a specific type of club that could take Adama. I, I was, I'd was. i love to see him at Newcastle with St. Maximum, because I'd love to see how annoyed the number nine would get playing with those two. Uh, Michi Batshuayi, back to France. I'd put him on on Lille. Um, him and Jonathan David, I think, is a partnership that would work. Dwight McNeil. I'd, play Dwight, I'd put Dwight McNeil at Man City. Now, not if they're going to play the current way of Canseo moves into midfield and it becomes a back three because McNeil obviously can't play in a back three but the old City 4-3-3 where De Bruyne played right of the midfield three and Sané played left of the front three and they flexed into a 4-4-2 I would love Dwight McNeil at left back doing the job that Mendy was bought to do I think he'd be really good in that regard as things stand I'd like to see him at Leicester off the right cutting in field I think he'd be good um who missed? Ruben Loftus cheek. Ruben Loftus cheek is a tough one because he's had a really bad season. Um Norwich. Norwich. Him, Cantwell, and Emmy Buendia as the three behind the one. I- I'd like to see that. So they would be the ones for me. Um my surname is Can too. Will FSG sell after the latest trust-breaking exercise? Will they try and appease the fans of making record-breaking signings? Will that be enough to silence the Coppites? Was it a weak apology? I thought Henry's apology was quite sincere, to be honest. People gave him crap for reading it. Of course he's going to read it. He, he's trying to do something good. Of course he's going to read it. Have you ever watched the Oscars? Um, will they sell? No, absolutely not. I can't see it in a million years. Um, will they try and appease the fans of making some record-breaking signings? I mean, if they if the thing is, if they do, it's got, people are going to say it's just because they were, Liverpool's transfer plans probably aren't going to change at all. They're probably going to sign the players they'd plan to sign anyway. They might sign one more that they maybe had looked at and thought, right, we don't quite have the budget for him. But I don't think plans will change drastically. And even if, say, they were planning to sign Jadon Sancho before this and they sign him now, people would say, oh, just make up for that when it wouldn't be at all. These are very clever people. They don't they don't just jump on a whim. Um, Isaac Gilding, build your all-time 11 of players who are super talented but never achieved their potential. Oh, I, I'm going to have to do that one another day. I won't have time to do that one today, but I do like that. So, Isaac, I will do that. I'll do that next week. Uh, WWFLFC asks... Is there a specific strategic reason the owners do not consult with the fans, supporters, groups, or rank-and-file staff before making these decisions, which are then often greeted with derision once and once, Largely so they don't leak. The less people that know, the less chance it leaks. If you tell the fans, the whole world knows. And at the end of the day, the owners view themselves as better positioned to make decisions for the future of the club than fans. And they're not necessarily wrong. They're not necessarily wrong. There's a reason they've gotten to the point they've gotten to in life. They're generally very good at making decisions. John Henry doesn't make rash decisions. He makes measured moves. So I think you would have to trust him more than the fella screaming for Liverpool to sign Haaland. Do you know? Um Would you give FSG another chance? Or do you want to see them making mis- making another mistake down the line? Look, I, I, I'm not pushed either way. They're the uh, there's, I, I show me a better better option, show me an alternative, and and I'll consider it. But for now, I don't see anybody who makes more sense for Liverpool as owners. Um, I would be worried about losing the structure and organization Liverpool have through the club if FSG left and new owners come in. Do you think the best way to protect long-term success is to have a model, um, model like Byron? I like Byron's model in terms of how they work internally. Fifty plus one won't work, and elections for club president are just a disaster. And they always end in corruption. So no, uh, Josh Beard, De Niro, or Pacino. This is this is the biggest question of the day. It is Pacino. However, De Niro is an all-time great. And the thing is that both these guys have gotten to the point where they don't really act anymore. They just be themselves. But N- for me, Pacino, like you look at his run in the 70s and 80s, it's just untouched. Even into the early 90s with things like Scent of a Woman and Carlito's Way. That is just an incredible run. I think De Niro has made more bad films than Pacino. They've both made a lot of great films. I think Pacino's made a couple better Serpico for me is is a masterpiece, so I, I'll go Pacino, but I do I do love um, De Niro. Uh, Kevin French, with Sky losing boxing to uh, D- Dazen, is football next? How soon before streaming takes over? I think it's going to be soon. I really do. I think when the next TV deals start coming up, I think we're going to see streaming services really take control because streaming services can be provided to fans an awful lot cheaper. Fans are already used to watching games online. Smart TVs are very, very pr- prominent these days. So I think streaming services are the way. And as soon as, as the sooner things get taken off the likes of Sky and BT, the absolute better. And I look forward to the tweets I will send to Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville on those days. Um, Shamil asks: Let's say Linders takes over after Klopp leaves. We have Cade, Harvey, and Curtis currently using these players as a starting point. How will Pep evolve the club's midfield and attack? What's the style and what formation we play? So when he was managing the Porto underage team, he played a three one four two. So he did that then in our academy for a little while as well. He played Trent as the one that kind of the lighthouse he calls it, it was the, it's it was the Ruben Neves role at Porto. Um, so I think he would do something like that. I don't know enough about Cade. I haven't seen enough of him. The thing is, I don't think Cade and Curtis and Harvey all fit into that system. So that could be problematic. You get Cade and Curtis in as the two in midfield, I don't know where the role for Harvey would be. Maybe Harvey plays off the front man. So maybe you play with a nine plus Harvey. Then Cade and Curtis as the midfield two. Trent is probably the right wing back. Whoever has a left wing back, you're going to need to find someone to play that deepest midfield role. With Cade and Curtis, you're going to want a holding player. So like a Camavinga type. um, Or Chimini, as we talked about earlier. And then you go from your centre-back. But I do think a back three would be possible. I think he likes that type of thing. Um, Yeah, I mean, you'd have Ozan, you'd have Kanate. So those would fit in for sure. Um, Which players could we realistically get who fit into that age group? Who would fit well with these players... And the potential side of team for for Linders. Um, Sancho, yes, but not not with Harvey. Not if he's playing that shape. Now, he could play something completely different. I I genuinely don't know what he'd do. Um, But if he played that shape, Sancho would be an even better fit as the one with the striker. Harvey's probably better a little bit deeper. Um, I mean, look, the obvious ones are Haaland. Haaland and Mbappe will fit in any system. Build it around them and play to them. Uh, Joe Felix is one though. I think he'd have real interest in. Joe, Joe is the one I think if he lands at Liverpool, he if if Joe Felix lands at Liverpool, Pepin Linders has big influence. Uh, with Woodward leaving and the potential of the Glazers selling, do you believe Manchester United can, could come close to the Man City level of squad and performance in the near future? How far are, away are they with competent people running the show? With competent people running the show, even with the Glazers in charge, United could be the best team in the world because financially they still make as much if not more money than everybody else and they can still afford to spend massively. The problem is they've had incompetent people making the decisions from the board on down. They've, they're have they brilliant commercially. They're brilliant in the marketing side, brilliant off the pitch, just a disaster on the pitch. With competent people making football decisions the whole way down, genuinely United will be terrifying. Genuinely terrifying. Um, The only way to stop them would be with City-type money or Chelsea-type money. No one else would have a chance, not even Liverpool. So uh, I I don't think the Glazers will sell. I don't think they have any intentions of selling. I think they're just posturing. Woodward was leaving anyway. so so for people that say this this is the victory we got rid of Ed Woodward, he was leaving anyway. He's actually staying longer than he planned to. Um Ahmed asks Cruz or Modric who's better across their careers. That's a tough one. Obviously Kru- uh, Modric won the Ballon d'Or, which does sort of tip the scale in his favour. But I do think Cruz is the better player now, and I do think he's probably been the better player while they've been together. I would say Tony Cruz has been better, just but it is it is slight. It is it's a slight difference between them. They're both incredible players, and they've both had ridiculous careers. Um, right, my top ten defensive midfielders in the last thirty years: Dieter Eltz, Werder Bremen in Germany; Lothar Matthäus, Bayern Inter, Germany; Frank Rijkaard. Ajax, AC Milan in Germany. Roy Keane, Manchester United in Ireland. Patrick V no, yeah, Patrick Vieira, Arsenal, Juventus, Inter, France. Gilberto Silva or Gilberto Silva, um, Arsenal, Brazil. Dunga. Sergio Busquets is obvious. Um, Barcelona, Spain, obviously. Um, that's eight. McAlealy. McAlealy will be the last one on this list, but I do think he's worth having on the list. Um, Real Madrid, Chelsea, and um, and France. Um, Dong, Dong. The reason I didn't mention who Donga played he played for like ten clubs, so that's why I didn't break it down with him. Um, the only, the other one then is is the guy who'd be number one. This is my, my number one would be Fernando Rodondo. He would be top of the list for me. I would go him, then Busquets, then Rekard, then Keane, then Mateus, then Vieira. Else, Silva, Dunga, and makaleli That will be my list. That will be my ten best defensive midfielders of the last thirty years. Um, and that's it then. That is the show for today. Uh, thank you for everyone to to everyone who sent in questions. If I didn't get to them, I'm sorry, Isaac. I will get to that one. That is just going to take a bit of time to think through. But there, like, there's just there's loads. There's a lot of Brazilians that just didn't reach the potential. Um, there's a lot of people that overachieved as well. Like, it, it depends how we view over overachieving. I would say, like, if you base it on talent and being sort of a good player who played with great in great teams and won a bunch, I think that's overachieving. Um, so, like, there's a whole bunch of players that were at Man United under Ferguson that overachieved. But yeah, that would be that that's something I'll do next week, no no doubt. Um that's it. That's the show. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for the questions as always. Much appreciated. Um I'll see you tomorrow. Take care, bye bye. cast network